the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let your worship fix your marriage. Let your worship fix your lust. Let your worship fix your idolatry. We got to dig deeper and you will realize that it's not just idolatry. It is any sin is incompatible with who you are and what Christ has done for your life. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. You need to understand what you yourself are doing in your own relationship with Christ and your commitment and profession of faith. And this is more than just a prohibition. It's more than God just saying, this is a bad idea, folks. The reality is that it's actually illogical. And that leads us to our next concluding reality of idolatry, the reality of incompatibility. We find this in verse 21 where Paul writes, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Again, this isn't merely a statement of prohibition. This isn't like a a secretary outside of her boss's office saying, Sir, you cannot go in there as that person is physically going in there. That's one way we use the word cannot. Paul is using the word literally. He's saying you literally cannot do this. It is a spiritual and moral impossibility because the two are absolutely incompatible. Now again, this is more than just eating a meal. You have to understand that drinking the cup and partaking of the meal creates a close and meaningful relationship between the people sharing the meal and the entity they are eating the meal in honor of. Just as we do in communion, so they do in the temple feast. I understand that this concept can be difficult to grasp in modern America, where even having a a dinner with immediate family, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. You're not engaged with one another. Even Thanksgiving dinner, everyone's in their own conversation. Half the people are on their phones. You sit alone at McDonald's. You don't talk with other people. We don't have this kind of intense bonding meal anymore. But what you have to understand is this was a celebration and a common fellowship and participation with one another. And again, we saw last week how the cup of the Lord involves a unique and exclusive relationship with God through His covenant with us. Outside of Christianity, The drinking of the cup of someone meant entering into a special relationship with that individual to the point that you share the same fate. 
There's a closeness in sharing that cup and that bread. Listen to Psalm 16, verses 4 and 5. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another, God will be multiplied. He's basically saying the sorrows of those participating in idolatry will be multiplied. And listen to the terminology he uses. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. The cup is directly connected to the God or false God of whose cup you are drinking. In the same way, the table of the Lord refers to all the blessings we enjoy because of our union with His death. As one who partakes in those, you cannot also partake of whatever the counterpart to God's blessings would be with the demons. Again, he's not giving advice here. He is stating a reality. You simply cannot do it. And understand that the issue Paul has is not the food itself. It's not the liquid served in the cup that's on the table. It's what they represent, and what they represent is the Lord of the meal. And when you're talking about this kind of meal, it's either, again, demons or the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the same principle in the context of material wealth, right? The impossibility of having both. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And I believe that passage and that principle gives us an insight here. You can have wealth and serve the Lord. You cannot serve wealth and serve the Lord. It is impossible because you will either hate the one and love the other or vice versa. Now, when it comes to things related to idolatry, we're talking about participation, again, rather than full-blown worship and devotion. So the obvious question is this. If this is literally impossible, how is it that some of the Corinthian Christians are doing it? You're saying it's an impossibility, and yet he's addressing Christians that are actually doing it. They're there eating at the temple. It's because you have to look deeper. Like any issue in the Christian life, if we just look at the surface, just the act, just the eating, just the walking into the temple dining room, this doesn't make sense. Corinthians are eating at the temple feasts. But when Paul says that this is an impossibility, he's not saying that somehow the Christian will be unable to walk into the temple like there's an invisible shield there, or they'll try to eat the meat and it'll just fly out of his hands or he'll vomited up. We have to look past the physical action of eating at the temple and look deeper. By the way, with any action, and especially sins, we always need to look deeper. You see, the call to obedience in the Scriptures goes so much against the grain of society that it only makes sense when you dig deep and understand the character of God, the nature of the redeemed, and the spiritual reality that those two bring when unified. In other words, why does God call this a sin? You look deeper and you look at the heart issue. You look at the representation. So, it's not impossible to eat food, to walk into a room and eat food. The problem is they're not looking deeper. They're not looking deeper and say, what does this represent? Not just this bread, but this ornate, gorgeous building that I'm sitting in. These people 
those priests and priestesses that are still splattered with the blood of the meat that I'm about to eat. You got to look deeper. Then you realize why Paul is saying it is impossible. It is impossible for you to have this type of fellowship with demons and with Christ. And by the way, what you're doing is trying to have fellowship with the demons. Though neither you nor any of these pagan worshipers would have acknowledged that or understood that if you hadn't looked deeper. So what Paul is saying in this verse is that ultimately this is not just an issue of priorities. It's not just an issue of preferences. It's not just an issue of it being a bad idea. It is an issue of incompatibility. And as I mentioned earlier, we would do well to understand this is, this is profitable for all of our sin, to dig deeper. Look deeper and recognize the impossibility of what you are ultimately saying by your actions in regards to your walk with Christ, the fact that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right, we can go back to, to, to the illustration we saw in Matthew 6. Right, Dig deeper. When you dig deeper, you go beyond just, oh, I could have got her pregnant. As bad as it is, it's deeper than, oh, I, just, I really ruined my marriage. You dig deeper and say, no, you two became one. You became one flesh. You took the spiritual reality that's supposed to be reserved only for marriage, and you did that with her, with him, with them. See, dig deeper, and then you get it. Otherwise, it's just peripheral. And you apologize to all the people and not God, and then you feel okay. You don't go deeper and understand the character of God, then you won't feel guilty because you have violated His will and you have offended God. You only feel guilty because you get, got caught. You only feel guilty when you s- saw Him starting to cry. Then you become a lukewarm Christian. You become a legalist. You become a lot of possibilities. And then we somehow even convince ourselves, like, yeah, I'm worshiping. What was the depth of your worship? Well, I apologize to my wife. Now I feel much better. We're on a better path. That's not all that it's about. That's important, of course, but that's peripheral. And by the way, it all, it, it's all circular, right? It's all connected, that good path that your marriage is on is going to go astray and fall onto rocky ground again because as a Christian, as Christians, you're not focusing on the worship of God first and foremost. Let your worship fix your marriage. Let your worship fix your lust. Let your worship fix your idolatry. We've got to dig deeper and you will realize that it's not just idolatry. It is any sin is incompatible with who you are and what Christ has done for your life. Well, let's move on and look at our fifth and final concluding reality of idolatry. We've seen the realities of inference, identification, immorality, incompatibility, and fifthly, the reality of instigation. Instigation. Look at the verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? Paul ends by warning the Corinthians about inciting the jealousy and subsequent discipline of the Lord. We know God is a jealous God. You can't get very far into the Old Testament without reading that. It's found throughout the Scriptures, very prominent in the Old Testament. And what we also see in those passages is that God's jealousy is directly connected to His holiness. Unlike our jealousy, God's jealousy is not sinful. There are no imperfections in Him or His character. 
and thus no imperfections or sin in his jealousy. But like our jealousy, it does provoke anger. Again, his anger has no imperfections. It is fully righteous because of who he is. But jealousy provokes anger. In the Ten Commandments, God says that Israel was not to make for themselves an idol and they were to have no other gods before him. You're familiar with this. Are you familiar with the reasoning that he gives right after that in verse 5 of Exodus 20? Why? He says, you should not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You get that. When someone says, I'm jealous, don't do that because I'm jealous, you instantly understand what they mean. Right? Don't look at her, it makes me jealous. Don't look at him, it makes me jealous. Don't go there, it makes me jealous. Okay, you just want me to go to your store. You just want me to have eyes for you. You know what this means. No one else, especially not something that's fake and now we know demonic. And so, as we know, the Israelites ended up practicing idolatry. And when they did, we read in Deuteronomy 32, 21, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, says God. As we've said before, as believers, we will not face the punishment of the Lord and His wrath as the Israelites did, but we can face His discipline, His punishment through discipline. He has not changed. His view of idolatry has not changed just because Christ has come and died and was resurrected. And with that final question that we see, Paul reminds us that we are not stronger than God is. Paul is reminding us of our proper place in God's order of things, not just in some sort of seniority like in the workplace, but based on sheer ability and strength. To put it simply, He is God and you are not. It's the idea of not picking a fight with someone twice your size or bringing a knife to a gunfight. The point is the threat of God's discipline on those who provoke Him to jealousy. And he is very clear that idols provoke him to jealousy. And just as he has the power to sustain our lives and protect us in many ways, but by example, giving us a way of escape from temptation, so he has the power to punish us. Like the parent who does these things for their children, protect and punish, so God does this because he loves us. How much more do we see His love in this when there is no sinful selfishness or anger in His discipline and jealousy as we do when we discipline our children? God loves us, and so He closes, closes with a final warning. Remember your place. Remember what God said about these idols, what it does to Him and what it will inevitably do to you should you participate. And again, we're talking about idol worship within the temples, or these days you can say idol worship is found even in many establishments that call themselves churches. Whatever name they go by, you know what idolatry is. But we talk often about spiritual idolatries, which 
probably a, a misnomer because this kind of idolatry is a, you know, statues are spiritual idolatry. But when I say spiritual idolatry, I mean as opposed to a physical idol, a statue, a temple. Spiritual idolatries being things like wealth and success and even things that could be good as long as you don't idolize them. Things like wanting a family or your children or your spouse. And so we must be, be on the alert. We must beware of anything that we put on the throne of our hearts. Any idol. Whether it's a physical statue or a religion. Even if it's someone named in the Bible. I mean, th- this is how he started 1 Corinthians, right? Rebuking them for saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Christ. Right? Even if we... If we say we we pray to one of the saints, that's idolatry. It sparks his jealousy. He does not want that. He's never commanded that. It is sinful. It doesn't matter if you somehow brought it out of the Scriptures. It's still demonic. If it is not purely and only the worship of God, very God. We must beware. It's not just me saying that. Look at the Scriptures. Look at the Scriptures. It is very clear what an idol is. And we get confused because we put the title saint before it. Or there are many churches that accept it. You say, well, I get what you're saying. I'm not part of that religion. Be very careful, my friends. Because it may be that you are listening to your favorite celebrity pastor over the Scriptures. That makes someone who would be devastated if they heard you've made them an idol, but you've made them an idol. We can make idols of politicians because they pass laws that seem to coincide with our Christian morality. We need to be careful. We make idols of gifts from God all the time. Our spouses, our kids, our homes, our cars, our money, our wedding rings, whatever it may be. We need to be careful. No one or no thing belongs on the throne of your heart except for the one who out of nothing created that heart and then died for it. So we've seen five concluding realities of idolatry. Again, I remind you that in some of the Corinthians' minds, all it was was a good meal. I mean, if you're shocked by what he's saying about demons, imagine them. They're like, "I I just wanted to have a good meal. Some of them, and this even, I believe, speaks to our modern day idolatry that we need to be careful of. Some of them said, I went and had that temple meal because I wanted to share the gospel with the worshipers of Aphrodite. And Paul says, no, it's demonic. And that's where we need to be careful. Good intentions can still be unbiblical. Good intentions in the Christian's life can still be demonic. 
we need to be very careful. Oh, man, how thankful are we that in a few chapters we'll get to 1 Corinthians 13, which so clearly defines for us what biblical love is, rather than saying, well, Hollywood says love is this, and my ex-girlfriend insisted I didn't love her because I didn't do this. My wife says love is this, and so it's just subjective, right? And so we're thankful that he says, no, even love is this, this, and this. And you'll see as we go through those 15 descriptions of love that many of them go against what our secular society says love is. And so we have to stick with the Bible. And my point in bringing that up is sometimes we say, well, God says I need to love, and so I'm not going to rebuke because I know it's going to make them upset. That's not biblical love. In fact, you're doing damage to them because you're more concerned about their feelings than you are about their relationship with God. And there you see right there in the name of love how good intentions can be demonic in the Christian's life. Dig deeper. Look deeper. They just wanted a good meal. Others, as we saw, are pulling out the theology card and saying, idols are nothing, Paul. You agree with me. What's the big deal? It's like watching a cartoon. It's nothing. But again, we must go deeper and have a genuine fear and high view of God. And with all of this in mind... If you are still willing to participate in the profane, then this really reveals your heart. And you really need to have a heart checkup and what your priorities are. Are you looking lightly at and taking advantage of, and I mean that to the full extent of how we use that in our language, taking wrongful advantage of Christ's death on the cross for you? In other words, I'm forgiven so I can partake. Amen, I won't lose my salvation, so one foot in the world. Man, that's fun. It's not about being afraid to lose your salvation. It's about worshiping God and understanding He is worthy and having a deep-seated fear of Him and a high view of God and a biblical view of sin and who you are. Paul has not only given us arguments that explain our nature as the redeemed and participants in the sacrifice of Christ, but also given us a final argument based on the holy character of God. And so though they should play a part in your understanding of your life, being self-aware, being a true lover of others in the church primarily and of the secular world, You have to understand the holy character of God. Because if your actions are just dictated by the horizontal plane in your relationships with others, how it affects others, how it affects your reputation, how it affects your feelings, then you're a good person. And your actions are those of a really good person. Very thoughtful. Thank you. And I hope you see what's missing there. I don't want to be a good person. I want to be a worshiper of Christ. I don't want to be respected 
I want Him to be. We've got to understand the depth and the reality of our sin and the mind-blowing and in many ways incomprehensible wonders of our holy God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by Your grace and Your blood, we can be so much more than just good people. Thank You that You have given us Your Spirit, that You have given us redemption and a new heart, that we can do these things. And I pray, Father, that we would be a church, we would be a people that digs deeper, that doesn't dare stop at just the practical realities of what our actions may entail, but that we would look in the Scriptures and we would have a high view of You, that we would hate our sin, that we would live not just so everyone is happy and that our, our guilt is gone away because we have the forgiveness of other people, but because we want to love You more, we want to worship You more, all not because we want to earn your forgiveness, but because we already are forgiven by you. Help us to see how these principles play out in our daily interactions, our daily decisions, our secret sins, and our gray areas in our lives so that we will worship you the way you have saved us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.